and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with the whole crew. We've got our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. Our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So it's a really exciting week because as much as it feels like the slow last days of summer, it's festival season. It is time for not one, not two, but three major film festivals basically to start within the next week. The next time we talk, a lot of really big movies will have premiered both at the Venice Film Festival and Telluride, where Richard will be taking off. And then we'll be heading right into the Toronto Film Festival, where we'll have lots of other exciting stuff going on. And we'll talk about that next week. Richard, you take off for Telluride on Thursday? Yeah, a 6 a.m. flight. Woo! Hang off onto the terrifyingly bumpy mountains, I think. Yeah, as I'm in the air, I believe the schedule and the official lineup will be announced. Telluride famously, frustratingly, uh, waits till the very, till, to, you know, to the very last minute to say what movies are going to be there. But, you know, through various uh, ways, we can kind of infer what's going to be there pretty, pretty conclusively. So um, the schedule release will be more, f- more formality than anything else. Yeah, so we can play a guessing game about Telluride and kind of what seems like it might be there. But right now at Venice, we, you know, we've got a sense of some of these things. As we record this, Downsizing has just finished premiering. That's the new Alexander Payne movie that played for critics this morning. There's a couple of other big titles that'll be premiering there over the weekend, like The Shape of Water and Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. There's one more that is not coming to mind exactly. Like basically, we kind of want to just start giving a rundown of the movies we're going to start hearing about in the next couple of days. Have you guys read any of the reviews of downsizing yet that's kind of really the first one out of the gate which is an interesting uh, position to be in it's kind of a you know everyone's ready to strike you down but it seems to have gotten raved so far yeah i'm looking at twitter and um t- hollywood reporters saying arguably his best film variety seems uh really bullish on it the actress hong chow is getting a lot of supporting actress buzz already i mean we're all so ridiculous doing <laughs> stuff, but but hey, whatever. Um, yeah, so it looks like it went over really well, which is pretty exciting. Um, it'll be at Telluride, so I got to see it there. And, you know, it's always nice to have, you know, the first movie to kick off this fall festival season be a good one. And it sounds like this is. And just to be clear, this is the movie where Matt Damon shrinks into a little person, right. little tiny person. Yeah, yeah. It's a comedy, you know, yeah. a sci-fi comedy. It's him and Kristen Wiig. Yeah, so I don't I don't know what the tone that sounds that sounds like kind of out of the box for for Alexander Payne in a way like he, yeah. he's done these kind of more low to the ground personal dramas or comedy dramas Nebraska and The Descendants right so this feels like a little further afield which is interesting I mean early on he had kind of an antic thing you know mm-hmm. through election even but then yeah he's yeah. gotten awfully moody in recent years I yeah. I mean I loved The Descendants one of my favorite movies um but uh, but this I'm I'm excited I'm excited to see him go more more comic and more weird. Yeah, and the look of the uh, they, so they released a, a teaser for a trailer, which is one of my least favorite things, especially because the trailer itself doesn't come out until September twelfth, which is an obnoxiously long time. But there was kind of it focuses on a lot of scenery. It seems like they travel on a boat to New Zealand and then they get shrunk. But it kind of promised this like level of whimsy and production value that when you think about this being the guy who made Nebraska is a really fascinating contrast. Yeah, I'm seeing things like in the Variety Review, they call it a, a crowd pleaser. So it's hard to say with that kind of thing. Like, I guess you could have called Sideways a crowd pleaser in a way. But it's it's just hard to say like what a sci-fi comedy will do in terms of like awardsy stuff. But um, in, in terms of like best picture or whatever, but certainly screenplay and act performances, it feels like you know, that that could be in play, you know, which, you know, I think that uh, pain kind of seems to be in that mix anytime he puts, puts out a movie. So we shouldn't be surprised about this. 
So just to go through a, a couple more of the the Venice titles, and we'll be hearing from some of these at Telluride too. Maybe the mystery the mystery continues. Suburbicon, George Clooney's uh, next directing movie uh, will be premiering on Saturday, and he's going to be walking the red carpet for the first time since he had twins, which is you know, exciting for some of us. I'm not going to assume that everyone listening to this cares about that. And that released a trailer a little while ago. So we have some sense of what that is. And I think what's most interesting about that one is that it's got a script by the Coen brothers. So it's like George Clooney kind of doing his best Coens, which I don't know, it seems like he could be well suited to that weirdly. It kind of comes through in that trailer. You know, you've got like a lot of wacky dark comedy in I loved that trailer. Um, Julianne Moore like whacking pills with her rolling pin and all I mean, it just I, it could be it could be one of those trailers where they picked like the brightest zaniest bits for the trailer then the whole thing is actually much darker in tone um but which I'm, a lot of coen brothers movies have been known to do right but i'm i'm hoping that you know clooney having worked with them so closely like he'll be able to really I, I, it'll be fascinating to me because clooney stuff has always been like directorially has always been a little slightly turgid for me. And like, so to see him do something a little bit more zippy, I think uh, could be really interesting. Although we should also remember that George Clooney's directing career is, I mean, as much as he has made some good movies and seems to has very good taste, like, the last time that I can think of that he made a, a kind of comedic movie as a director was Leatherheads, which did not work out that well. Actually, oh, now realizing I, I didn't, I didn't even see Monuments Men. So that's, uh, that's on me. That's not a comedy, but uh, I liked Leatherheads. I didn't think that got a fair shake, to be honest with you. So, but I'm all alone in that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Ides of March was good, and Good Night and Good Luck was good. Yeah, yeah, he's. I think he's definitely deserves the uh, um, the benefit of the doubt. And Confessions of a. Um What's the one with Sam Rockwell? Dangerous Mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that was the most kind of antique and Cohen-y, I think, that he's directed. So, and that was, you know, that was a good movie. So, mm-hmm. I feel like this could be in that same vein. Um, I'm excited. It won't be at Telluride, but it will be at uh, Toronto. So, just keep going through the Venice list, because that is what is officially out as we do this, and Telluride isn't quite. Uh, there's three billboards outside of Ebb- Ebbing, Missouri, which I think we've talked about a couple times. It's Francis McDormand and Woody Harrelson, and it seems to have some potential. It's Martin McDonough, who has... Uh, who made uh, In Bruges, which is kind of a famously darkly comic movie. But the one I really want to get us talking about is Mother, which comes out in mid-September. It's the Darren Aronofsky, Jennifer Lawrence movie. So the promotion for it's really ramping up. It feels like this movie is everywhere. And it's going to premiere uh, in Venice. Richard, is there a sense that it's going to be in Telluride as well? No, I, that, that'll be skipping Telluride. Um, I'm almost 100% certain. And it'll be at uh, Toronto. And the, the programmers of Toronto have done something rather cruel where uh, Mother and Three Billboards almost conflict there's like a five minute window where you have to run from one theater to the other so that's going to be stressful for a lot of us but yeah mother i want to stand in the hallway with a camera just recording the running of the critics to go go. right exactly but yeah mother you know i think i said it earlier when the trailer debuted that it just seems like a very good venice movie it feels like arty and weird and italian and um so i'll be very curious to see how that plays darren aronofsky has Get, uh, did a piece, an interview with New York Magazine a couple weeks ago, uh, where he really was selling it hard as kind of, you know, the logical continuation of what he started with Black Swan or whatever. So I have a weird, tiny inside tip on Mother, because Mother is is sort of famously people don't know what it's about, right? Like, really? Right. Is that- I think so. I think they're. That, I think the idea is that they're keeping some of their cards hidden, and you, you know, as many trailers and as teases as are out there. Like there was one yesterday that really echoed the uh, design of the Rosemary's Baby poster, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but it's all very uh, coy. 
So I was talking to Paula Fairfield, who's one of the sound designers on Game of Thrones last night, and she actually worked on the sound design for Mother as well. And she had, for Game of Thrones, she had rigged together this huge thing she called the Boneyard, which is all these bones that are like dangling from bungee cords in her house. And uh, she said she used it on Mother too. (laughs) So like, I can't wait to see the sound, the connective sound tissue between the Game of Thrones finale and this Darren Aronofsky film. So... That is the best inside tip I've heard about something in a long time. I love that part of Joanna's life is just like, I was talking to this sound person from Game of Thrones. It's just About her boneyard. <laughs> Mike, how are you feeling about Mother at this point? I mean, I I love the trailer. I'm excited about it. I'm kind of always interested when a real life couple does something together, either because it's um, there's like a sex appeal that or electricity that ca- is captured, or because it's like a fantastic disaster. Feels like it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be like electric or disastrous or both. Um, I don't know. I'm an Aronofsky fan. I mean, I think there's. Uh, I, I pretty much everything he's done has been of interest to me, even the things that kind of go horribly wrong. Um, the Fountain yeah. was it? The Fountain. The Fountain. I yeah. kind of love The Fountain. Yeah, I, I mean, gave I'm I gave a, Noah a good review. Like, okay, Noah. Yeah. Maybe I, I like where Noah. Yeah, I mean, he's just a weird, interesting guy, and his yeah. tastes are. Uh, while he makes a lot of dark kind of movies, his tastes are pretty broad, actually, like in terms of subject matter and yes. scale. And like, this seems like a smaller one versus Noah or something. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm really curious. And Michelle Pfeiffer playing some kind of like villainous somebody like that's exciting. Yes. I don't know. There's just a lot going on in this movie uh, that um, could. I mean, the September release date makes me a little nervous, to be honest, but because mm-hmm. uh, that's not always the best you know, it doesn't always indicate quality, but well, it sounds like they're they're it, It's a mix of like genre and like, hey, if we get some Oscars out of this too, or right. Oscar buzz out of this, great. You know, it's not it's not one of these like the things that have to come out in December are the giant like uh, aircraft carrier style awards movies where it's just like you know for your consideration. Steven Spielberg <laughs> Pentagon Papers movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, a movie where it's kind of like, hey, humans might actually willingly go see this in the movies, and we could score a few nominations. Like that, I think September's a good time for best that. bone sound effects. Best- <laughs> <laughs> want, but are those bone crunching or are they like bone tinkling? I don't understand. Like rattling. Bone rattling. Bone, okay. Bone crashing against bone. Joanna, this is a family podcast. (laughs) This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum-sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, 
two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. So before we get too deep on festivals, uh, Mike, you have a dispatch from uh, one of the summer's final movies and one of the most intriguing. You saw Tulip Fever and you can't talk about the movie, but you can talk about the party. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am not allowed to talk about the movie until uh, Friday. And I think we come out before then. So so that's that. Um, I will say that Martha Stewart did show up. I did not see any of the other illustrious co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvey uh, came a little late, but it was it was worth the wait. He introduced it um, quickly and lovingly. Uh, his final uh, words about it were uh, a little shot at Trump. He said, certainly 1634 in Amsterdam was a lot better government than we have today. So, you know, we, we can't separate. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be a Trump aspect. Sure. Uh, afterwards, they had a very nice dinner. Um, I got to meet George Stevens Jr. I don't know if you know the son of the great director of Shane and Giant. Oh. And, and he was very instrumental in putting together Mark Harris's Five Came Back. Um, it was quite a classy group. But here's what I like about about Harvey is in a world where you're everyone's sort of like who are the new people at VidCon and how can I like turn content into like three seconds of like of just like a strobe light that gives you a a seizure so that you (laughs) remember it Harvey's big idea here was like I'm going to show this to authors because they won't be like these snarky bloggers. I'm just going to get a bunch of really classy authors in here because this is a Tom Stoppard script and like, you know, we've got Alicia Vikander and, and, and it's based on a novel and all this other stuff. And, and that was his big move. And so I kind of love, it's a sort of semi poignant, but sort of beautiful, um, still caring about some of the old ways and the old things and things like crazy old things like authors and books and stuff. So I, God bless Harvey. That was his his way of of debuting this movie that has obviously had, as he acknowledged, you know, a long, long road to fruition. Um, and I wish I could talk about it, but I can't. Um, but anyway, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens when the critics finally. I think he's not wrong that critics now are like because of the evasion tactics that he's played with it. Critics kind of are ready to like kick it right in the teeth right. and and uh, and say it's the worst movie ever. I, I don't didn't think it was the worst movie ever. I can say that probably. Yeah, I think you can. But I mean, in terms of inviting the authors, it's not about how many people see it. It's that the right people see it. Well, I, and so the right people did, Mike, <laughs> including you. It was uh, anyway, it was an interesting evening. But uh, and Martha Stewart was there, but Snoop was not. All right, let's move on to Telluride, which starts on Friday. Richard, you'll be up high in the mountains riding gondolas with. Yeah. Uh, well, who will you be riding gondolas with? Who are the who's going to be on the ground with their movies? There are a few that are going to be at Venice as well, like downsizing um, the Shape of Water and Lean on Pete, an Andrew Hay film um, who made Forty Five Years and Weekend. But there are some that are going to premiere just exclusively at Telluride, um, including The Darkest Hour, which is the Gary Oldman plays Winston Churchill because we need another actor to play Winston Churchill. We need another actor to play King Whatever. You know, we're we're, we're in we're kind of stuck in this eddy of uh of mid-century uh royals uh, one that i'm really excited about is film stars don't die in liverpool that's with annette bending and jamie bell where they have a may december romance she's an actress <gasps> that sounds intriguing i don't know i mean every year that annette bending does something it's like could this be the year i've already heard some some buzz about annette bending oh, it's oh, very oh. early but i heard some last night a- annette bending who is the jury president at venice right now so she's having a very busy couple weeks yeah um, i wonder yeah. if she'll be in colorado i kind of doubt it if she's doing that but uh-huh guys i can't have my annette bending hopes dashed again 
I just, I can't. It's can't really been, it. it's been tough. You know, every year you try and then it just never works out. Joanna, you can't have your hopes dashed. <laughs> Think about poor Annette. <laughs> <laughs> this is about me, Richard. But I have to say, your description of Jamie Bell and Annette Benning have a me, having a May-December romance, that just shot up to the top of my list of most anticipated movies. I'm okay. so excited. So I'm, I'm just a quick diversion on the Annette Benning thing. Is there any chance that she is hurt by Academy members who are still angry about Warren Bates? Uh, screwing up the best actor envelope thing. I thought he covered that so well. Like if 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 Faye Dunaway were her husband, I would say yes. But didn't Warren like kind of do an okay job recovering from that? I don't know. Uh, I, I also think that Warren Beatty is pretty Teflon. You know what I mean? Like he's like people just he's just Warren Beatty, and no one's like. Thinks of Annette Benning as like first and foremost anyone's wife. Right. It's like Annette Benning. Right, right. I think God's if sake. anything, she might be hurt by the by Academy of voters thinking she's already won. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, I sure, have to remind myself. Yeah. Well, and Annette Benning has actually been on the Academy Board of Governors, so she's an insider there. Like, she would have been one of the people like there to scold Warren Beatty about messing things up, uh, which makes it surprising that she hasn't won because you would think she has all the connections in the world. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it will be it, it will be subject of a lot of jokes. I'm sure if she winds up getting nominated. If the, anyone involved in the film wants to buy an ad on this podcast, I will gladly read. Like, it's her time. I'll, I, I'll read that <laughs> yeah. ad. Honor the mind. film, honor yeah. the actress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what else? So probably not writing a gondola with Annette Benning, but uh, uh, what else are you excited about, Richard? I am very curious about a movie called Lady Bird that was written and directed. It's her directorial debut by Greta Gerwig, um, yes. who you know co-wrote Frances Ha, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. That was uh, 2013. I know because I saw it on my 30th birthday by myself and cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a uh, uh, Saoirse Ronan uh, plays a young woman in Northern California, so it might be some semi-autobiographical. Uh, Greta Gerwig, I believe, is from the Sacramento area, but it's mm-hmm. her. It's Danielle McDonald from Patty Cakes. Uh, Laurie Metcalf is in it, and incre- intriguingly, Timothy Chalamet, who is about to break big uh, in Call Me by Your Name when that screens at Toronto and then opens in November. So it just has a lot of buzziness about it. This Lady Bird movie. I know someone in the Vanity Fair family who has seen it and said that it is incredibly good. <gasps> Yay! Lucas Hedges is in it too, right? I think so. And it's and it's a film about You're right, yep. uh, theater. God, I'm so excited. Uh, Lady Bird is uh, <laughs> was already on my list. I was walking down like Sixth Avenue or something the other day, sort of sort of projecting myself into film festival mode, and just imagined myself like walking out of a ladybird screening and just firing off some effusive tweet was it like that sequence in francis ha where she kind of dances across about four blocks (laughs) that's how i get around new york city (laughs) at all times now (laughs) since seeing that movie so ladybird is also going to be at toronto which is kind of an interesting uh maybe a good time to get into the contrast where you've got these festivals you got venice and telluride which are relatively exclusive they're in far-flung locations that aren't that easy to get to and venice has a much more european vibe um and then you get to toronto which starts next thursday and it like you were saying richard like something kind of breaks big when it screens were pressed there like it's just this crush of like hundreds of american journalists so like how does it how does it differ like when we start hearing something from venice and telluride like what do people expect versus what they hear from toronto i mean just to give people a visual of toronto picture the comic book guy from the simpsons Mm -hmm. like 
a thousand of them lining up inside of a giant movie theater waiting to see a movie. And those comic book guys care about like, you know, whether Gary Oldman's going to win an Oscar. Right. Like it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> like if they don't care about, you know, actual comic books. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I, 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 I don't know which festival is the official kingmaker. I mean, that you know, um, all the best picture winners from the past few years have passed through Telluride. So maybe it's that. But I think that the difference of Toronto is, like you said, just sheer size. And, you know, you get these early rumblings from Venice or Telluride or whatever for the people lucky enough to go to those and then you know many more people come to toronto and i think like last year for example if there was any doubt that moonlight was going to be huge yes it, it did well at telluride but when that opened at, or premiered at toronto and then everyone went nuts that I mean, yeah. that was it was certified at that point so well, and a key thing that we talk about all the time uh on the podcast um but is always worth remembering is like there is a lot of excitement around being the first to see a movie and people feel very privileged and it creates, it's part of what we call festival fever. Mm-hmm. And it makes people very in- inclined to say something is amazing. And we've seen examples where, you know, it doesn't pan out the next group of people. And, and so frequently it'll be, it'll literally be like, it shows it tell you right. People are like, wow. And then it comes to Toronto. Everyone's like, all right, wow me. And it doesn't. And that's it. So it, it is a kind of a testing ground there, like a confirmation. Right. You know, if people come out at TIFF and they're like, yes, seriously, this really is great. Great, then then you know you've got something special. Yeah, you can pass through and for Sundance movies and Cannes movies as well. I mean, Cannes has this weird conversion rate where things that are big there oftentimes just don't do anything. But like Sundance has a better track record. So I'm just very curious about Call Me By Your Name, you know, which I mentioned already, because that people saw it at Berlin, but you know, that's more of a European festival. It's not a lot of American journalists. So Toronto is really the first opportunity that a lot of people are gonna have to see this what I think is very special movie who weren't at Sundance. And um so I hope that it plays well there. I think it will, but it's maybe hollow by the fact that it's on the first day because it's all the kind of catch-up screenings from Cannes and Sundance. Mm. So it won't have this kind of grand placement that something like Lady Bird will or whatever mm-hmm. else. But but yeah, I, I think that it's fun to watch that narrative at Toronto for a movie like what 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 makes it through and what kind of falls by the wayside. The thing that I'm looking forward to about Call Me By Your Name and this just might be like anticipating festival fatigue but the idea that there is a movie on my list that is a love story that's set in a beautiful location that everyone else already says is good. It's like a relief. It's like a like one thing that I know that I will enjoy before I you know take a gamble on darkest hour or something like that yeah exactly it, it feels like you know you can count on that one where you know you, sometimes you walk into a screening at a, fest, a festival and you have no idea and it's a disappointment or whatever and but. i think that means it'll have like a big audience you know sometimes you go to these festivals and there's a press screening line and like there's 10 people in there and you're like wait what happened and then yeah, i remember like the martian like everyone was lined up for hours beforehand so it's got like the buzz going into it that i think is going to get all the eyeballs which in something like toronto where there's so many titles competing all at once like that can really make all the difference and what's what's up with this kid Timothy who spells his name with two E's? Timothy Chalamet. 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 Yeah. Chalamet. So yeah. he's like the big breakout. Yeah, he went to LaGuardia High School for the Performing Arts. He's just like he's been around. He was on Homeland, um, but this is his like big breakout year. And 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 Call Me by Your Name is his big breakout role. And I think we're just going to see a lot of him going forward. He's at a weird age. He's like twenty or something, and he looks pretty young. So finding the right roles for him going forward. I mean, he could fall into the kind of Dane DeHaan trap or something, but like where he's just playing a perpetual teenager. But we'll see. I, I don't know. I think he's going to be good. I met him at Sundance. He's a really nice kid. Um, I believe he used to date Madonna's daughter when they were in high school together. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Or, yeah. Or they were at least good friends because um, they were like page six things about them mm-hmm. years ago when he was on Homeland. Um, so yeah, he's just an interesting one to watch. You know, there are probably many other pe- stars that will be made uh, as these festivals roll out. But um, he's, I think, the the big name on my list right now anyway. 
So we'll have time to talk about Toronto more next week. But uh, I mean, maybe we can just start kind of throwing darts at what's going to start emerging. I mean, there's so many things on the list there. Like, Richard, I'm looking at your list and you've got everything from like the Tanya Harding biopic starring Margot Robbie to the movie where Idris Elba and Kate Winslet made, make out on a mountain. Like it's it's such a smorgasbord. Like how do we help people keep track of all this? It's tricky. I mean, Toronto is tricky because it's just so many things. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that Toronto tends to world premiere your kind of theory of everything type movie. They have Breathe this year with um, Andrew Garfield, where he plays, um, I believe, a quadriplegic man. Um, you have, uh, you know, uh, I, Tanya, which is a kind of big splashy thing that maybe isn't quite Oscar-y, but, but we'll see. I mean, it could be. I had another sort of vision of myself tweeting about that. I don't know why. I'm <laughs> I really love your like, Toronto really vision. Sad. Really. <laughs> yeah, it's a really sad window into my life. Um, but uh, something that I'm really curious about just because it could really go either way is molly's game this aaron Aaron sorkin's directorial debut he also wrote the script about jessica chastain running this kind of underground poker but high class kind of poker thing which you can read about in vanity fair that we excerpted i think the original book i can't remember if we did the original article that the book no it was an excerpt of the book i read it when the trailer came out Yeah. yeah yeah so that could be really interesting you know chastain has been uh sort of you know, she's gotten a nomination before, two, two before, but like she, in recent years, she's been sort of simmering and, and this maybe could be the thing that breaks her back into the into the club. Um, I just, I want to see what kind of movie Aaron Sorkin makes as a director. I'm just very curious. I know that he has his fair share of detractors, but, and I understand why and I, 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 I you know, appreciate those criticisms, but I also just, I like what he makes a lot of the time. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. So I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I like some of what he makes, but yeah. it's certainly this is kind of it's always interesting. It feels like a big short type move, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere, kind of brainy, you know, people right. involved. Um, and, and it's the kind of move you make when you're almost surprised by how good something turns out to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, this is a a, a female lead in an Aaron Sorkin story, which mm-hmm. I doesn't happen very often so mm-hmm. i'm curious to see what so yeah but i think you're right mike that like we could maybe read some tea leaves that like if they're placing it at the festival maybe they think they have something which i don't know could be interesting yeah that's always an interesting kind of math to do especially at toronto which has room for so many things where you think if something's being placed there like that means they have hopes for it and then all of a sudden it premieres then you don't hear about it until a year later like i was realizing that um the movie where Blake Lively is blind and uh, Jason Clark is her husband. I, it's coming out this fall. And I, I had just realized it played Toronto last year and I had totally forgotten about it. So it's, it's weird that you kind of assume everything at Toronto is a player and then it really doesn't always pan out that way. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like we've said a billion times, it is a huge festival. So it, you really can't tell what's going to kind of emerge. I think that, you know, obviously our narratives will be a little bit clearer next week uh, once uh, the other festivals have happened. But I don't know. It just seems like a lot. Uh, one, one movie that I'm a smaller one that I'm hoping will kind of be a breakout is uh, this movie called disobedience with uh, rachel vice and rachel mcadams the two rachels um that is uh, based on a, on a popular book and it's directed by this chilean director sebastian lelio who made a movie called gloria that's really great and people should see if they haven't um and he has two movies at toronto he has this and a movie called a fantastic woman about a transgender woman uh, i believe in chile um so he's like this big director of this festival it's been a while since rachel vice has been um you know kind of in the hunt so i'll i'll, I'll be curious about that one Man, speaking of like talking about Jessica Chastain being someone who has a lot of promise but hasn't gone as far as you want, Rachel McAdams just constantly feels like she's about to get the good role that really makes advantage of her talents and never does. Yeah, I mean, even the surprise nomination for Spotlight, like her role was so, it was not, you know, 
it, it was pretty simple. So it would be fun to see her kind of really chew, bite into something. This, I'm, I believe, is more Rachel Weisz's movie. She's the lead, but um, I believe that um, Rachel McAdams plays her love interest. But we'll see. You know, I, I don't know. You know, fortunes can be can be made in Toronto. So we'll see. <laughs> So now that we've thrown kind of all of these titles out there and like given hopefully our listeners a sense of the chaos that's about to emerge, I wanted to try to give like people who are maybe not attending these festivals who want to pay attention to this kind of the the guide to the cycle of hype that's about to happen where you have something that will like premiere at Venice this morning, like downsizing. And then maybe the next time it screens, the backlash starts. And then by the time that it screens at Telluride, a different wave of backlash starts. Like Richard, I feel like you've seen this firsthand a lot of times. Like what are you, at what point are you supposed to buy into the hype? Because it feels like the way that these festivals are built are meant so that there are like three different cycles of buzz on something before it finally settles down. I have a really easy rubric for our listeners on this. Um, if I tweet something, that's the <laughs> Well, you've been planning these tweets for months in advance. So. No, I, I think that's a good question. And I don't really know the answer. I think that as a general rule, treating all of it with a little bit of skepticism is the right way to you know to do it because, like Mike said, like we can, people get really kind of swept up in this narrative because they got the privilege to be there and they're at the premiere and they're getting kind of you know they're going to the party. It, it, it creates an atmosphere of excitement that seeing a movie just like you know like regularly <laughs> doesn't you yeah. know it creates. So that's why they do you know, them. That's why right, they exactly. Have <laughs> I mean, there's a, it's it's a strategy, but but I think that like if. If the if a movie passes those kind of double blinds, like if it goes through more than one festival, then I think we can we can think it's a you know we can uh, assume it's a lock for something. So I would just say err on the side of skepticism, but again, believe me when I say something because I'm always right. <laughs> yeah, you usually are. Oh, I was looking back. I tweeted out from Telluride last year. Emma Stone's going to win an Oscar, and what happened? Boom! There you yeah. go. We won't look at all the other tweets that were wrong. And then and then Richard's like, and La La Land's name will be read, but actually it'll be Moonlight. Weird, I know, <laughs> but I see it in my head happening. So I went into one of my trances up there in the mountains. Can I take 45 seconds to do some some plugs for the fam? Our boss has a documentary about Johnny Agnelli called Agnelli that he's doing with HBO at Venice. Uh, and we'll have a clip from that, I believe, on uh, on the VF Hollywood section. Our former colleague, Matt Turnauer, former Vanity Fair editor, has a very interesting doc at Toronto called Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood about this guy who used to procure young men for uh, gay actors and, in fact, young women for gay actresses in Hollywood in, like, the 50s. Uh, we got a clip coming from that on VF.com and that's it. That's, I just wanted to, I just that sounds to fascinating. Some, so yeah. there's, there's, no. there's good stuff. So there's, and, and, and there's a whole world of documentaries that we often kind of don't talk yeah. about when, because we're so focused on the dramas and things, but, um, but that stuff will be good. Oh, and Katie and I are going to be live. We're going to be hosting red carpets, uh, throughout the first four or five days of, uh, of the festival. So yeah, follow Toronto film festival on, uh, on Twitter and you'll be able to watch us interviewing everybody's arrivals. And uh, hopefully Richard and Julie will be, Julie Miller, our In the Limelight host uh, of one of our sister podcasts, will be doing some Facebook Lives with Toronto, right? During the week? Yeah, we hope so. Um, Yeah, it, we're just going to kind of do a little daily digest of what we've seen and what we liked. Um, Hopefully, if it works out. I'm just jealous because I'm not going to get to ask, who are you wearing? Because you guys will be on the we, red carpet. So. Who are you wearing? That's my big question. I love asking that question. <laughs> 
And then uh, also from Telluride, we'll have some really cool stuff going on. Well, obviously, we'll have reviews coming in from Richard, but there's a big photo project that you're going to be helping out with where we're kind of getting a, a lot of the biggest faces of the festivals kind of captured against the, the beauty of the place, which, uh, Richard, you might have some more details to share about how that's all going to go down while you're frantically running from screening to screening. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing about Telluride is that it is small, it's intimate, that's really very much by design. And so some kind of big movers and shakers, not just, you know, actors, but like behind the scenes people, executives um, come to the festival to network and to do work, obviously, but but also just to see movies and hang out in a beautiful spot over Labor Day weekend. So the idea was to use the natural beauty uh, to, you know, do interesting portraits of these kind of big wigs that, that come to this festival. So I, I think, you know, our really talented photo team, Kara Mare and I, our editor, and Justin Bishop, our photographer, they're going to do a great job. I think it's going to be a really cool little window into a festival that not a lot of people get to go to. And then Krista Smith will be interviewing people uh, at Toronto, and Justin will be taking their portraits at Toronto, too. So we're just yeah. going to, it's just going to be, I don't want to say balls to the wall, because that's <laughs> all good. Well, Joanna already said bone to bone. So let's just go with it's it. It's going to be bone to bone <laughs> yeah. uh, for all of these festivals. Can I can I tell you one thing about um, the this festival this this biggest festival that we're talking about that a that a Canadian told me last night? I got Canucksplained to to like after I pronounced it Toronto and hit the final T. He's like, "Don't ever do that if you go there. Never hit the final T in Toronto. You have to say Toronto." Uh, or else they'll kick you out. I was like, all right. So, uh, you know, you guys already have that down, I'm sure. But if anyone's listening and you're planning to go to the festival and you don't want to have like, I don't know, poutine thrown at your head by a Canadian, don't pronounce the, se- the second T in Toronto. I have always pronounced the second T. And I think what happens is inside their mind, they c- kind of get mildly annoyed for like a split second. And then they go back to being a really nice Canadian. That's person. a Canadian rage blackout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it lasts two seconds. Yeah. But thanks. Good tip. Yeah, that is good. Actually, Toronto. I had been doing it wrong. <laughs> well, that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And now is a great time to find us on Apple Podcasts and rate us and review us and help us find new listeners in time for this huge rush of movies that we're going to get to talk about, which is very exciting, including next week when we'll get a dispatch from uh, Richard's experience at Telluride. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us all at VanityFair.com, writing about all of this amazing uh, festival season madness. And we're all on Twitter uh, together at Little Gold Men and individually. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike? Mike underscore Hogan. Richard? Ryan. And again, I'm always right on that thing. So. <laughs> and Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best summation of Harvey Weinstein's efforts to release Tulip Fever goes to Katie Rich. It's been tough. You know, every year you try, and then it just never works out. <laughs> <laughs>